Green Thumbs Rejoice. It's the Bob Olin Show, brought to you by Dan's Garden Center, located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. The WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig. Now, KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. Here we go, Bob. Another Tuesday. This is the final day in May, so I would hope pretty soon we're going to be able to start planting stuff, right? Oh, yeah. I think uh, we've had some nice moisture right now. I yeah. think that uh, we still want to be a little cautious. Frost-sensitive fields, most people tomatoes, number one garden vegetable in uh, in the United States, certainly in Minnesota, that northern Minnesota, the same way. It's kind of interesting. Someone said, well, that doesn't apply to northern Minnesota. Well, I just uh, checked with some of our greenhouses. Oh, yes, it does. People love tomatoes. And uh, but a little, uh, p- p- probably a little early there yet. We got to watch the forecast. You can cheat a little bit if you like. I know people have set them out, but once in a while we get hit with a surprise. Always use about June 10th. That's about uh, by the time we get to June 10th, you got about a 99 percent probability that we're not going to have a frost. Now, every once in a while, like it was two years ago, I believe, uh, I froze down on uh, June 11th. I followed my own advice, planted the evening of June 10th and froze on June 11th. So <laughs> this, this is the Northland, and we never really know for sure what we're going to get, but we want to get the odds working in our favor. Uh, this has been very pleasant, the moisture that we've had. I know it may have uh, interrupted with some folks' uh, long weekend plans, Memorial weekend plans, but uh, certainly it's greened up our landscapes. Everything looks uh, really nice out there. We're getting soil moisture. You know, it's kind of interesting. We've been talking a little bit about uh, NOAA, the Climate Prediction Center, and they've been saying it's going to be hot and dry during the summer. Uh, they've switched a little bit that. They've delayed that uh, to check their maps, and uh, they're going to push that into late June and into July and August when it's going to get hot and dry. That's not too atypical. Average uh, for the early part of June here, at least. So we'll see what happens. But so far, good moisture, uh, really, really important. So much of what we do outside without irrigation at least is totally dependent on the amount of moisture we get we typically have good temperatures but moisture is obviously very very critical you know dave the nice thing about farming or gardening is that uh uh when you get that rain when it interferes with some of your other plants you're just thankful that the plants are getting a good drink and that's what happened this last weekend dave yeah some plants got bigger drinks than others up north where they've got flood situations already in the international falls area they got dumped on we got about a half inch of rain i think yesterday Okay, I hadn't heard exactly. I know they're very wet up there, and mm-hmm. if you drive north, you can see the creeks are full, oh, and yeah. the rivers are full, and totally different than last summer where we had things very dry. Everything right. was parched, and our our farmers were having to haul hay in and, and yeah. move cattle around and everything else to, because we just didn't have the kind of moisture we needed for good pasture production. That's really the backbone of our agriculture in uh, in northern Minnesota, at least, Dave. So. Yeah, totally different. Uh, I think that's the unpredictable nature of weather, and we'll see what happens uh, this year. But so far, uh, things look pretty good. You know, Dave, I know uh, maybe you could give us a little update. It is the last day of May. Mm-hmm. This phenomenon in Superior, I guess they went to a no-mow May. Was that right. just kind of a recommendation? or what? Yeah, just a recommendation. I guess the city was not doing any mowing of uh, public property during the month of May. I, I tried, but I had to mow last week. It was just getting too thick in some spots, and I wouldn't have been able to mow at all if I waited another week. <laughs> You'd be haying, huh? Yeah, so I might be uh, mowing again this week at some point, but uh, only once during May, so I guess I did somewhat of my part. And the dandelions are going crazy, so I'm doing that uh, service for the bees as well. <laughs> 
That's the big thing. And once again, a total uh, flip-flop in our awareness. Awareness now mm-hmm. is that uh, a lot of pollinating insects, pretty important in the ecosystem, important if you're a fruit and vegetable grower. A little shout-out to our, uh, we've got a group of master gardeners in northern St. Louis County in the Ely area. We try to put together, put them together in a group where they can work together. They've got a little project up there where they're, they're putting a display garden in of pollinating perennials. Uh, and these are gaining more and more interest. These will be uh, uh, flowering perennials that provide uh, good nectar and good pollen for the pollinating insects. But then across the, the walkway from that, they're putting in a, a group of vegetable plants that really are dependent upon pollinating insects. So if we take a look at some of the vine crops and strawberries and raspberries, uh, they all really do require pollinators. So they're trying to fit the two together i thought that was a good idea and uh, maybe for some of us in our landscapes we should think a little bit about that as well it's kind of interesting you know uh, we get in the big agricultural area a little farther south it's corn and soybeans and corn and beans of course main feed for animal uh production and meat production consequently uh, i don't think we're going to get away from those huge mono what we call monocultures uh just focused on production of uh of feedstocks and pretty tough on the pollinating insects. So actually, folks, uh, in a suburban rural area here where you got a little property uh, in town, uh, we can do our part by providing some habitat for these pollinating insects that are really so important. So they fit kind of nicely together. Uh, we're getting kind of a balance. Uh, the no more may, we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. I think there is a lot of interest. It wasn't uh, just near fine. Uh, city of Superior, but I know that the Dina, I was told, which is kind of interesting, went to a Nomo May. Now, they're much farther ahead. They would have had uh, been doing more than uh, the need to necessitate to uh, cut uh, probably three or four times already yeah. in May and tried to go to that uh, rather exclusive neighborhoods. I wonder how that went over this year. I'm going to have to get some feedback from a resident or two in that area. But it all points to the fact that there definitely is interest and awareness that we really want to keep uh, out of the native bees in particular. Uh, we want to create habitat that's uh, really useful for uh, building some of those populations, which we're going away. Uh, it's kind of sad as we move to these monocultures and uh, pure bluegrass lawns and so forth. Uh, some of the pollinating insect populations were in decline. And consequently, uh, there's an awareness there, Dave. Yep. Some of the, uh, well, we got off to kind of a late start, thank goodness. That allowed me not to mow as often as I would normally. But I noticed the leaves are finally popping out on the uh, apple trees. The flowers are not have not arrived yet. No, uh, you know, some are beginning to break bloom right now, our mm-hmm. landscapes. You know, we got off to a late start, very, very right. cold there in April and May. Uh, we tend to catch up pretty quickly, and uh, I think warmer temperatures are on the way here, mm. and uh, we make up for lost time in a hurry. So I think that uh, you'll be seeing some landscapes filled with some of the beautiful <laughs> beautiful flowering crabs, and you, your herald's got leaves, but uh, no uh, no blossoms at this Not point. yet, anyway. I'm, okay. sure, I'm hoping it'll happen pretty soon, but we'll see. Yeah, everything kind of slowed down for sure, and, uh, well, I suppose that's uh, to be expected when we had such cold April and most of May. In fact, even this week, we're just about normal temperatures for highs in the 60s all week long and probably 40s overnight. Yeah, I think that's fairly typical when we say 40s, lower 40s, and not too far from mm-hmm. 32. So we have to be, <laughs> we got to be a little careful and not get right. lulled into uh, 
you know, the belief that uh, summer has finally arrived for us, and it won't be long, but we got to be just a little careful at this point, Dave. All right, we'll take a break. We're at uh, 924. It's the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. It's the Bob Olin Show for the final day of May. June will be busting out all over starting tomorrow. Yeah. Days still getting a little longer, Dave. Yep, that is uh, true, too. Sun uh, set down at well into the 8 o'clock hour, almost 9 o'clock now. Yeah, it gives us some uh, good time to be working outside. Mm-hmm. And this, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. We, of course, went through this pandemic, which we're still working with and working our way through. But, uh, you know, a lot of folks stayed at home. They were introduced to this great hobby of gardening. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing, I just heard your uh, your report from, I believe, the Wisconsin News Network there, the metric or mm-hmm. network. So let me get that out. And uh price of fuel is... Oh, uh, yeah. Boy, not going down, that's for sure. So, you know, it, uh, you know, the thought just occurred to me, you know, that folks might be staying home a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. we're just about, I think they call it the tipping point at which it changes behavior. Now, having been out on the road a little bit on this weekend, uh, it didn't change a whole lot of behavior that I could see. There was a lot of traffic yeah. out there, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of big pulling big boats. Mm-hmm. But it is, uh, it is the opening, and just after the opening of fishing season, and, of course, we love, uh, we love all of our water resources. But nonetheless... I think people might be thinking a little bit about that extra trip and focusing a little bit more on their on their landscapes coming up here. And uh, you know, we are seeing this diversity. We're seeing, of course, an interest in in quality uh, vegetable fruit production. I think uh, that uh, continues to move along there. The interest there, and you know, we've taken a little look. It's kind of interesting. You know, uh, some of our uh, vegetables. I think, in particular, of a couple big groups, the tomato group, which is loaded with uh, lycopene, which was reported uh, for a while to have the protective effect, uh, minimizing the risk of some types of cancer, prostate in particular. But uh, and then the broccoli family, uh, which contains some sulfur-containing uh, compounds. I should say the cabbage family, broccoli, cauliflower. Uh, kale is in that group. Cabbage is certainly in that group as well. And uh, uh, these had some compounds that had some protective effects. Some good work uh, done at the uh, University of Washington along these lines. But now as I track a little bit of the research, they're kind of uh, backing away from necessarily focusing on one particular uh, vegetable or one particular. These are called antioxidants, the protective uh, what they call phytochemicals in some of these fruits and vegetables. They're saying going back to a balance of uh, just a little bit of everything. So I think that uh, people are definitely interested in the quality of their food supplies, definitely interested in uh, where it's being sourced from. So I think this encourages certainly folks to shop locally. Farmers markets are open now in most cases. And uh, also growing some of your own and sharing it with your neighbors. So I think it's all good. But with the price of fuel going up, I think people may be focusing just a little bit more, or at least maybe minimizing one or two trips, Yeah, uh, and uh, just focusing on their landscape, Dave. I was able to uh, fill up over the weekend, Bob, for 30 bucks. Well, that isn't so bad. Yeah, that was my lawnmower. <laughs> okay, that's great. <laughs> you know, it's kind of interesting, the no mow may yeah. Part of the effort, I thought it was just all about pollinators. It may have been about saving a little bit of municipal <laughs> fuel as well, right? There you go. Hey, we got a phone call, Bob. Hi, who's this? Good morning. This is Marilyn from Saginaw. Hi, Marilyn. Hi, Marilyn. I, How are you today? I am doing just fine. I have a, a raised vegetable garden, which I haven't planted yet. Okay, that's um, fine. But I have a question. 
in our climate, could perennials be raised in a ra- be put in a raised garden, or do they need to be down in the ground ground? Oh, now that is really a very good question. Because and then also blueberries. Also, I wondered about blueberries. Yes, yes, yes. Anything that's winter hardy, it probably depends on how you plant them and how deep and how much soil you've got in your raised beds. Uh, we obviously can get cold that moves in from the outside and uh, can damage some of the roots. So as a general rule of thumb, we don't like small containers for perennials for overwintering. Raised beds, I think you'd probably want to stay away from the edges. And maybe you can give us a little more idea. Do you have uh, uh, do you have large raised beds, or are they smaller in age, or what's the approximate size? I just have one. Um, it's a, it's like six feet wide and twenty four feet long. Oh, okay. You've got some room. Uh, some yeah, and it's it's on beds. um it's on the south side of the garage, and there's just measured like a little over four feet between the garage and the garden, so that I can get the lawnmower through. Okay, so, so you got some wind protection there as well, correct? Pardon. Uh, the the garage provides you with some wind protection, some winter protection. Yes, from yeah, because it's on the south side of the garage, and then the, the ground, the dirt that's in there was out of uh, our old our barnyard pile. Oh, so so old some, some good fertility. My guess, yeah, mm-hmm. if you've got good sun, I bet that's extremely productive for your vegetables, your annuals. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, I would I would assume you got good nutrition, good drainage, good size. And uh, I think one of the real advantages of a raised bed is you could fill it with real quality, quality soil. Uh, back to your original question, you know, I, if you're going to put perennials in there, and I think it's, you know, it's not a bad idea. I think I would be uh, maybe planting some of the ornamental flowering perennials down the center or near the center, and then focusing your annuals toward the outer portion just to kind of hedge your bets. If we get a real cold uh, winter and it's severely cold, we get penetration. Uh, so I wouldn't want to be within, the, you know, out near the edge at all with some of these perennials. But I think if you could focus them in at least maybe 18 inches from the from the edge, I think you're going to be okay there. We do get in trouble with the containers for a lot of these things where we get that cold penetration. So in this case, uh, stay away from the edges. Work down through the center. And, you know, I've not seen this concept before, but I think uh, maybe some beautiful flowering perennials down near your center, uh, maybe some bee balm, monarda, beatrice, whatever you uh, favor in terms of pollinating perennials, uh, would attract, certainly attract your pollinating insects and would provide uh, certainly good uh, habitat for those pollinators that are going to pollinate your uh, cucumbers and your tomatoes and other things. So I, I think well, that I, might I be had... an approach for you. I had thought about having a, another separate one built, you know, to put the perennials in. I do have perennials in the ground, but uh, just to make it easier to handle and that, I had thought maybe about putting them in a raised garden. Yeah, let's but, let's think a little bit about that when you build your new raised okay. garden. Why don't you line the outside of that if you start another? I, I love the idea. The nice thing, you know, it's up at at uh, waist height, so to speak, so it's they're easy to get to, easy to maintain. Uh, let's take some of the, the uh, insulating uh, foam boards, and when you build the deck, before you get your soil in there, let's get two, three, four inches of insulation in there. Uh, on, know, the edge, on the edges, huh? Yeah, what we call pink board and folks that are mm-hmm. uh, these insulating panels. I think I'd like to get a high R value there on the edge going all the way down 
so that we okay. could prevent that. And then I think I'd go ahead and I would plant a number of uh, uh, a number of uh, perennial materials in there. And you know, sometimes they'll tell you just how hardy those roots are going to be. But I think I'd try to insulate mm-hmm. on the outside. I'd plant a number of things. I like the idea. And uh, once again, you know, you don't have to be right next to your veggies with these. Uh, these are uh, flying insects, of course, and they can cover yeah. a pretty substantial area. But if you had a beautiful perennial raised bed, but I would caution uh, just to try to get some insulating material in along the outside there. Okay? Okay. And, yeah, I think, yeah, last um, fall when I kind of dumped my pots, flower pots out, I just kind of dumped them in my perennial garden. Okay. And I looked at out there the spring now and there was a pansy it was starting to turn green i dug a hole planted it in the perennial garden and it's blooming <laughs> wonderful well a lot of these it's just a, just a little annual <laughs> that's great and actually it's a little annual but it does take frost and so forth and it's probably self-seeded so yeah you can see some of that and there's you know these are kind of life simple pleasures but there's a great deal of joy just in something as simple as that isn't there <laughs> yes yeah, it's funny how, little, how they found out Okay, well, that'll be, I'll have to kind of well, think, and then I'll have to get my, my son's going to be the architect on it. So <laughs> That's going to be a lot of fun. Keep us posted. I think it's a great idea. And dedicating okay. one of Rick's beds to perennials and, and uh, get them winter hardy, I, I think that's fantastic. All right. Thank you for the call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yeah, that's, uh, those raised gardens are kind of nice for the deer, too. It puts them right at... Uh, <laughs> Oh, they don't have, have to bend to over as far to eat the uh, goodies. Yeah, you would have to mention those pesky <laughs> little... <laughs> so maybe put a little fence around the edge, too, just to be safe. Yeah, yeah. we really do want to be careful, particularly she's out in Saginaw. There's a pretty heavy deer population out that way. Except uh, during the hunting season, of course, they seem to disappear. But uh, <laughs> not during the growing season, they're around. You know, the nice thing you talk about deer pressure and so forth is we've got a landscape now that's greened up. And uh, so that's going to be helpful. But you're definitely right if you've got... Uh, and they do love tomatoes. They're going to mm-hmm. find them one way or another. So fencing of one type or another, I think more people are realizing that uh, electric fence might be a good option in most cases. Uh, sometimes you got to be a little careful how you set those up just so they do deter, deter the deer. But uh, a little bit of juice sometimes can be very helpful there as well. But a yeah. real good point, Dave. I'm glad you brought that one up. And turn it off before you go on there and start gardening. Well, that's right. You yeah. can always turn it off and stay away from it yourself. Right? All right. We'll take another break, Bob. 9.37 now at KDAL. The Bob Olin Show's returning after this. And we're back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday, the last day of May. Bob, I got one of those, uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it now, uh, orchid plants. Oh, okay. And it tipped over the other day, and it, it was filled with like a cork material instead of dirt. But yeah, I lost they, all of that. Can I put dirt in there? Or is there a cork material available, or what do I do? Yeah, there are orchid mixes. They're a little uh, sensitive, a little sensitive yeah. to the, the types of soils. They certainly don't want anything that's heavy, and a lot of that might be a might be a coconut material that's oh, okay. used. There. And uh, I think that I would stick with. You can actually buy orchid mixes, and okay. I would probably stay with those. Buy a little orchid mix from a lawn garden dealer, and mm-hmm. I think uh, you're going to be better off that way. They do not like. Uh, they do not like anything that's heavy, that's for sure, Dave. Well, this is a good three, four years old, and it keeps blooming every year, so I'm a happy camper. Nice. Excellent. No, I would stay with what you're doing, and I'd mm-hmm. stay with a light mix like that, and I think right. you'll uh, continue to have success with it. That's just Very great. Good. Great. You know, uh, I look out the landscapes. They're so lush and green right now, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about No Mo May. I will remember that. Uh, uh, 
you know, the uh, mm-hmm. just filling your gas tank only cost thirty bucks, but that was your lawnmower. <laughs> that's, uh, that's good. You had me going for a while. Ah, there. yeah, it's, uh, it wasn't that expensive. I was, no, and uh, it seems like it. I'll tell you. Yeah, it does. Uh, I think that uh, people are going to be just a little bit more conscious of a lot of things. And, you know, there was a time when we look at the lawn and things really beginning to grow with this last uh, rainfall we had, the half an inch is going to really push things along. Uh, you know, I mentioned a uh, little bit, a uh, little fertility maybe in the spring of the year. Uh, you know, that does push blade growth. People have to understand that. So if you're going to fertilize once a year, you'll fertilize perhaps in the fall, which pushes the development of uh, the underground uh, stolons or stem material that actually uh, pushes along the uh, the plant densities to get nice thick ones. So if you were to make uh, one application of a fertilizer, uh, and in many cases our our soils in northern Minnesota, northwestern Wisconsin tend to be low in organic and low in nutrient naturally, where farther south you could get away with growing a bluegrass lawn without any nutrition. They need a little more. Uh, bluegrass lawn does require uh, some fertility. As the uh, the clovers now, more and more people are tolerating clovers, in their lawn, we've got this new phenomenon called bee lawns, which uh, we did a little program in, in April, and tremendous amount of interest in bee lawns, and that came out of uh, out of nowhere. At one time, people wanted to eliminate any kind of broadleaf, including the clovers. Now, clovers are legumes. By that, we mean they do take uh, nitrogen from the air, which is very stable. Uh, nitrogen uh, that we breathe, and breathe, breathe in and out is just about 80 per, uh, 80% of the, uh, the atmosphere, a little bit less than that. But uh, very stable, so we breathe it in, breathe it out, and um, it has to be broken down into a form that plant can use, and, and then they convert that into chlorophyll, the green, of course. And legumes, this is nature's way of doing it. The, 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 the lightning storms we had was one way of breaking that stable form of nitrogen into a usable form for plant uh, fertilization. But legumes is the way where they take the actual atmospheric nitrogen, and in the presence of nodules on the roots, as it worked down through the soil, it break it down into nitrate. So, uh, legumes, uh, clovers do produce nitrogen, but um, a little additional nitrogen to get the plant growing does uh, does help uh, to get uh, uh, clovers established. Now, in Belon mixes, now what we found there has looked into that a little closer. There are a lot of mixes out there being sold in a lot of places. They're not going to be inexpensive. So you're looking for really flowering plants that the native bees in particular, we're not, you know, we've got the honeybee population and our honey growers are dependent upon uh, good pollinating insects or flowers as well. But uh, most of the work's really done by these very small uh, native bees. We've got a couple hundred species in Minnesota, it's my understanding, and uh, uh, they're uh, not nearly as conspicuous, but they do a good job. And as you take a look at your Harrelson apple as those blossoms begin to unfold, just take a look at the amount of activity there, and you'll see a lot of these smaller native bees. Well, a bee lawn really is uh, a lawn where we're going to have some grass, of course. Uh, grass is a great ground cover, and in full sun, we're going to have blue grasses, and in uh, partial shades or full shade, we're going to have what we call shorter or creeping fescues, not the tall fescues. They're not particularly winter hardy here, so you got to be a little careful with your your mixes when you're selecting uh, grass seed. But these are shorter stature uh, materials because we're going to be mowing these lawns. The same thing with the clovers. We have to have a clover that stays tight, that flowers close to the ground, so that every time we hit it, we don't take the bloom off. So. People will ask, what's wrong with just a, a conventional red clover? Well, red clover flowers maybe at the three, four, five, six inch level, and of course you're going to be mowing before that, uh, unless in uh, 
Superior, maybe there's some six-inch uh, lawns out there right now. Ah. But in most <laughs> most cases, we're going to be mowing, and we don't want to mow that off. So we're we're really looking for low stature, uh, flowering plant material, broadleaf plants that the that will take mowing, and they'll take a certain amount of traffic as well because the lawn actually going to use it. You want to use your backyard, front yard, barbecuing and whatnot, uh, playing a little soccer maybe. So it ha- they have to take a little traffic. So. We've got a number of species in the mixes, uh, creeping thyme, white clover, and what they call self-heal. These were uh, typical components, a lot of mixes, the broadleaf components, as well as the fescues and some bluegrass. But uh, a lot of these, uh, the thymes in particular, uh, the flowering thymes, as well as the self-heal, not really hardy in northern Minnesota. So uh, white clover, I think, is what you want to, if you want to be lawn, let's look at white clover. I want to do some research and find some other winter-hardy suitable materials uh, for folks as well. But you can get the white clover. You can buy that independently. You can cut that down in either with a slit seeder into your, into your turf, or you can come over the top with a little bit of soil. You've got to have a little soil uh, contact, soil seed contact. You might come over with um, some of the compost or a good sponsor of the Sanitary District. Got a great product in their garden green component. But you've got to have some contact between soil and the seeds. So people are interested in northern Minnesota, and I think I'd stick with the white clovers at this point until we can find some that they're dependent but hardy. And uh, this is my advice. Some of these uh, seed mixes are not inexpensive, so we want something that uh, that really is sustainable, something that's truly perennial that will be around 5 and 10 years from now. So right. white clover, uh, cream fescue, and bluegrass, we're sticking real back to the real basics here, Dave. All right, 947, we'll take another break. we got another call to Bob. That'll be coming up after this break. And we're back, and Bob, we do have a question for the Master Gardener. Hi, who's this? Yeah, this is Harvey. Hi, Harvey. Good morning, Harvey. Hey, Bob, uh, i got a question regarding, i got a forsythia plant that's, oh, 15 years old. Uh, up to 10, 10 to 12 foot t- tall, still in bloom, but it's starting to wane a little bit. Uh, I was wondering when is the best time to prune it, and also I have some metal uh, six foot high fencing around it currently to protect it from the deer. I was wondering if it's, the plant is tall enough now that I don't have to worry about uh, the deer browsing on it, or do deer really browse on forsythia? I guess is my question, and right. and the pruning part. So. Yeah, good, good questions. They're magnificent plants. Do you happen to know the variety? Uh, I, I don't. The cultivar I was? don't. Well, we no, had... I don't remember. It was, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> when I planted it, and it really has done well. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. You know, we had some introductions. They, they were not really native to the area, but uh, for folks that are not aware of this, a magnificent yellow flower um, in our landscape, they come out very early. And again, part of the early uh, pollinating uh, plants out there. I think we talk a lot about the flowering uh, perennial, herba- what we call herbaceous perennials, but we've got woody shrubs out there that can be great for our pollinating insects as well. So these are magnificent. We've got a couple new introductions that just are nice and winter hardy. Uh, in terms of pruning, let's start with that. Uh, we typically would prune them up uh, after after they flower, so get the flower 
leave the flower bloom go, and when the blooms fade off, then you can prune them. And uh, always, when you are pruning those, um, probably to retain the height and so forth, prune back to a main stem. Just don't get in there and give them a, a wild haircut with a hedge trimmer or something. Come in there and uh, very, being very little conscious of uh, using a hand prune and come in there and prune it back to another stem or prune it back to a bud. So we're always going to prune back to something, but after they're done flowering. Uh, you know, the, the thing about uh, deer is uh, coming into the fall in particular, uh, they will, in fact, take a lot of this woody material, so I think you're wise to have it protected if you have a, you know, have a real heavy deer population. I think I'd probably leave that, uh, leave that fence in place. I wish coming into the winter, you know, we've got some options for control in the summer months, including a lot of uh, uh, repellents, uh, liquid repellents, so whether they be taste or smell repellents, it can be applied on a rotational basis and uh, give us pretty good deer control in many cases. We've got uh, square uh, systems that are triggered by uh, motion sensors so that uh, that will keep deer away during the growing season, but it's coming into the fall that we really need uh, need protection there as the natural feeds begin to die back and deer have the ability to digest woody material uh, coming into the fall of the year. So uh, I think you're really going to have to continue to think about uh, some type of protection for that plant, uh, particularly in the fall of the year. But put it up, uh, keep it in shape. I think it's a good idea so it doesn't they get uh, too far out of hand or too tall on you, and that actually tends to stimulate some new tissue growth, which will give you new, new blossoms and bloom coming into the future. But... Uh, Congratulations, great shrub, and add a lot to the landscape, and now this new awareness of uh, shrubs as well as flowering perennial material for our native uh, populations. All right. Interesting call. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Bob, uh, we got 9.56 already. Time to uh, wrap things up. You got any final thoughts here this morning as we head into June? Well, yeah, I always have lots of thoughts. I want to go back. I did have a question about uh, Creeping Charlie being mm-hmm. a good pollinator in the in the lawns. Creeping Charlie, unfortunately, and people are familiar with that, as uh, well in the shady areas, it's got a lot of attributes to it that's uh, given it a real advantage. Uh, unfortunately, it's not a good flowering plant for our, our pollinating insects. So if you want to eliminate it, and, and people have talked about that fall of the year using... Uh, approved uh, herbicides are going to be effective for you much more than right now but unfortunately and creeping charlie loves uh, shady areas it loves these kind of moist conditions i noticed i've noticed over the last several years it greens up very early there's a reason why it's it's so pervasive or invasive in our landscapes uh, it's got a lot of ways to reproduce it kicks out a lot of seeds from the flowers and it's got a very aggressive underground stem system so Unfortunately, it's good and hardy, and it's a, it can be attractive as well if you view it that way, but it's not a good source of nectar or pollen for our pollinating insects. So eliminate it if you choose, but uh, that's going to be uh, in the fall of the year. The other thing, you can eliminate, but uh, remember it loves shade, so you might have to take a tree down or you might have to prune up some of the trees, get a little more sunlight. Grass is what loves sunlight. Yeah, I'll be a little careful. We've had uh, we got moist soils out there, and of course, I've uh, advised that people be a little careful of getting a lot of compaction in their vegetable and flower gardens if they're direct seeding. Had to violate a little bit of my own rules and <laughs> let things dry down and try to get some seed in the ground because it's been pretty wet. But uh, right. we got plenty of time, plenty of season. Uh, just be a little conscious. Let things dry down. I think we're going to have a a drying period over the next uh, three or four days here. Thank you, Bob. We'll catch you next week.